From in the beginning to the musical apocalypse, this is The Bible Says What. I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. How does one open themselves up fully to the Christian holy book? Do I have to say some magic words, clap really fast, or drip some blood on the pages to show my sincerity? I believed for years, and yet the power of the words never hit me. The Christian deity refused to send me clarity. Years of asking religious leaders basic questions about this belief has only led me further from where I began. If Jesus wants a relationship with me, if the loving Christian deity truly wants to save me from his palace of pain, he would do so. Here I am, Yahweh. Show us what you got. Nothing. Just as I thought. Maybe next week. Let's start the show. Is there anything in the Bible that you yourself have an issue with? <laughs> Okay, so it took you reading the Bible to realize that those things were bad for you? Yeah, it actually did. I, I didn't figure this out on your own? No, Ted, Ted Bundy could be redeemed. God doesn't kill children. What do you think the Passover was? Yahweh sets up a whole system in the Old Testament where you slaughter animals just so he's able to forgive you. Today's special guest is Bible professor and author Brian Russell. Welcome to the show, Brian. Oh, thank you, Michael. I'm really grateful for the opportunity, and hopefully you can have a fun conversation for everybody's listening. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, well, uh, I've uh, been... What I do for a living is I've, I actually teach biblical studies, uh, so I have the privilege of, at, at the graduate level, of, of teaching mostly folks on the Methodist side of, of the Christian family, so the broadest, the, the definition of Methodist, uh, how to read scripture, and like I usually tell folks that don't know me that go, oh, you teach the Bible, what does that mean? It's like, well, my 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 essentially my goal is always to make sure that we don't oppress people with the Bible, and so mm-hmm. I try to help people to read scripture, what I would say well, in ways that ultimately um, help a person be transformed uh, way before you even think about turning a text on to somebody else, uh, which is tip, which is what happens a lot of times. We like, we, you know, we trust the Bible t- to the point, especially when it's says things that are inconvenient for other people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, we don't turn it back on ourselves. So I just try to really help folks to learn how to read the Bible mm-hmm. In historical context, in light of the long interpretive tradition, and in ways to hopefully that actually cultivate love for God and love for neighbor. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what I do. Also, mm-hmm. if you know, I've been a pastor. I am ordained. I haven't been the pastor of a church. My my work is basically teaching at, at a seminary, and then I do also do some coaching, and I mm-hmm. uh, lead spiritual groups for uh, pastors and what I like to call spiritually minded. Uh, folks that just want to go a little deeper in their faith and uh, try to grow and ground themselves essentially in love. So my goal is, yeah, that, that's that's how I would describe what I do. And I write books. And so uh, and I, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Congrats on that. That's a that's a thing. So as a Bible professor, someone who teaches the Bible, what is the Bible to you? How do you see it? Well, I mean, I think the easiest way to think about that is uh, – the Bible is a collection of books that mm-hmm. come out of the ancient world. And as a Christian, the Bible is both 
the scriptures that the church inherited from Israel, which Christians call the Old Testament, that could be called the Tanakh if we were a, a Jewish or sometimes neutrally get called the Hebrew scriptures. And you have the 27 letters that over the course of a few centuries, the uh, Christian church recognized as being authoritative. And so you would say what the Bible is, it's a collection of books that Christians read as the authority for what we would believe as Christians and most importantly for how we would live our lives in ways that ultimately uh, bless and serve others and uh, honor God. How to live your life. All of it. Collection well, of books to help you live your life. Yes. And it obviously the Bible doesn't cover every possible thing. Like you're not going to find the ideal diet. Um, you're not going to find it. <laughs> you're not going to find it uh, in there. We, we can find out what that was. <laughs> Apparently you live off of it. <laughs> well, that would be awesome. Well, that would be awesome. I'm, I'm with you on that one, but uh, you know, but uh, there's a lot of things that people say that uh, if, if you ask the Bible, the wrong questions, it gives the wrong answers. If you ask hmm. the Bible, the questions, the Bible wants to answer. It hmm. can tell you some really deep things. So, so about the wrong answer, what was that again? Say that again. No, I'm like, if, like, if you know, you can ask the Bible any question that you want. Uh -huh. So it's like, what stock should I buy tomorrow <laughs> when the stock market opens? And, you know, good luck. I'm sure somebody's found an answer there somewhere, but obviously yeah. you can ask the Bible anything and people do, but the question ends hmm. up being, what questions does the Bible actually want to ask of us? And that's what gets me curious, right? So I don't just bring my own biases. So it's try to find a way, like uh, in, in the in you know my latest book, I actually ask a question: Do you read the Bible, or does the Bible read you? And so it's a matter of listening to the text in a way that lets it ask us questions. Again, you can ask anything you want, hmm. but it may not answer it. Well, now I'm intrigued. How does that work? What what? How does the Bible ask us questions? Give me an example. Well, I think, yeah, yeah. Well, so like. Um, well, again, you can start anywhere, but I think that the, the key to reading the, the, the text in a way that allows us to at least attempt, and it's always an attempt because mm. interpretation is tricky. Uh, mm. We're separated by minimum almost 2,000 years from the even the earliest deck documents in the New Testament. Some of the stuff in the Old Testament could go back to like 1200 BC. So that's really, so that's back to 3000 years. So we have to recognize that we're different cultures, different languages, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you have um, biases. And so you have to, so what you want to do is you want to um, allow the text, you want to get a perspective. Like let me, I use, I use an art illustration when I, when I, when I teach folks that are just coming into classes, cause you know, um, and so like, um, like if you know the artist uh, Monet, he was an mm. impressionist. He's famous for drawing like the landscapes and like water lily pictures and that impressionist technique. And again, if the, if the listeners don't know who Monet is, it's M-O-N-E-T. Just look it up and you can see <laughs> pictures and you've, you've seen a Monet, yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. But it's basically little dabs of paint that and in the combination of all those little dabs and again i'm a philistine artist so i'm probably not doing it justice if you step back and you're far enough away from the painting you actually see what looks like a realistic landscape so if you want to look at a monet mm -hmm. you have to be x number of feet away from it if you were going to walk up to a monet and like get like inches away from it what are you going to see you're going to see all of these hundreds if not thousands of little dabs of paint and you get the entire wrong impression of what it mm. says and that's that would be true of any kind of art so the questions up being mm. what perspective 
do I want to bring that would allow me to get, you know, the fairest hearing that cuts through my own biases. And so I can actually hear what the text as an mm. artifact, if you want to call it that way, actually says. And that's mm. before we even bring any spiritual stuff into it. But I would say that's kind of the baseline that I try to teach people is to learn to look at the text the way the text wants to be looked at, because the Bible beyond just a collection of 66 books by lots of different authors over a long period of time also has different genres, right? So there's yeah. like history, there's poetry, there's genealogies, there's letters. Like Paul was literally <laughs> writing to, yeah. you know, little churches that probably had 20 or 30 people in them. He knew the mm -hmm. people by name, right? And he doesn't even tell us half the time, the issue that he's even addressing because he assumes the people he's writing to know what he's talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have to also understand something of genre so that, you know, you don't misread. I mean, a classic thing would be like revelation, you know, that's yeah. a book that drives everybody. Um, yeah. It's always interesting. You get all kinds mm -hmm. of popular culture films and stuff. And like an example, of this would be like, um, you know, a lot of Christians um, debate like the end of the world, for example, mm -hmm. and um, in Revelation has a, a passage where it talks about there's like a 1000 year period that's and that usually gets called millennium and you get mm -hmm. all kinds of wonderful um, fiction, <laughs> fascinating <laughs> yeah. nonfiction books that mm -hmm. could potentially be fiction in their own way, too. And And what's interesting about Revelation, if anybody's read it. It's actually mind-boggling in some ways because there's all of these symbols all the way through mm -hmm. it. But then you get a passage that says a thousand years, and I'll, oh, in this book of symbols, all oh, the thousand years has to be literal. Mm -hmm. That would be an example of misreading based on genre, where again, you have to assume the thousand years is a symbol if everything else is a symbol. You know what I mean? So that's that's mm -hmm. kind of what I'm talking about. I'm but I'm I think I'm talking too much already. No, you're doing great. No, I love it. No, you're explaining it and it's it's good. Um so I kind of want to go to the laws a little bit in the Old Testament sure. there. How do you take those? Are those inspired by God or or those men um, men coming up with these ideas? Well, you have to always say, and this is where it gets tricky, and, and this will probably where we'll have some fun in the conversation. You have to say it's both. Hmm. And this is where it gets complicated with interpretation, hmm. where there's kind of a scandal. Because, you know, as, an, you know, as, a, as a believing Christian, I'm going to say that the Bible is inspired. But that doesn't make it magical because it's it's one of those odd things where, again, there's this is going to be where we're just going to say this is going to be a faith statement I'm about to make. And I'm OK right. saying that. But if you believe in inspiration, you have to say um, you don't have to, but uh, you would want to say that the scriptures are what God intended if there is a God. And so it's a hundred percent inspired by God. But simultaneously, it's completely obvious that the Bible was 100% human also. Hmm. And the tricks end up being is a lot of people would be offended by what I just said. Like you may, <laughs> you're not necessarily offended, but I mean, from your own position, that first part, you're not going to like, but if you get like really sometimes in very conservative folks haven't thought about it, they would be offended that I said the Bible is 100% product of human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well we have I to mean, say that because Okay, sorry, I didn't. No, no, you're good. You know, no, I mean, people get offended over all kinds of silly things, but, well, but right, I right. mean, especially when it comes to the Bible. Um, so you do believe it's got a mixture of man and God. So did God? Because what I see, specifically the laws, because these are kind of something we can go to, so kind of a staple. Yeah. Um, 
as far as the laws go, they're perfect, holy, righteous, and good. It says it several places in there. Um, so as far as I see it, these are what God intended for man to put down. That's what the Bible is telling me. That's what I'm picking up from reading it. Um, how do you see that? Yeah, I think yes, except what, what you want to say is there's still got to be frameworks for reading it. There's two different ways. Like sometimes people just say read it through Jesus, which is an interpretive um lens that's helpful to like your Christian. You know, like, it, <laughs> sorry, bad joke. Well, no, 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 no. Well, yeah, yeah, I know you're I know you're joking, but but I mean this is really important because the very thing you're saying, it's like um, you know, like I've written personally a commentary in the book of Deuteronomy. There's some really pretty yeah. hard passages, right? And also, you know, my I'm a, my training is with my with my uh, my I did a PhD in biblical studies, and I focused mm. on Old Testament. And my you know Ooh. it's Exodus, so I'm really good at Exodus and Deuteronomy. Those are my Love two of my two main areas of study. And there's crazy texts, right? It's like um you know like I always <laughs> joke like for you'll like this, Michael. Like my if you always ask what's one of my favorite texts, well I love the text. Don't ba- boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Yeah. That shows mm-hmm. up like multiple times in the Torah. And I'm like, I love it because I've never broken that law. It's yeah. easy for me. Right? <laughs> so, you know, and, uh, and, and, and obviously this is some really hard ones and we can talk about those. But yeah. the, the thing is, you have to step back. Hmm. And this shows up um, like when you listen to Jesus, for example, he talks about the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. And then Jesus says, there's a second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that comes from Leviticus. So the the two main broadest commandments are actually implicit in the Old Testament itself. And so the key to understanding any of the texts, and including the problematic ones, including ones that actually there's some, you know, there's obviously some contradictions within the laws also that we can get into if you want to talk about mm-hmm. that, but is to see a framework. The biggest framework is the law was designed because uh, you want to ask, like, what would a person look like who lived this out? And obviously, there's some really hilarious yeah. movies that have been put out, like <laughs> the Year of Living Biblically yeah. and stuff too. But, but in in in, in all seriousness, uh, if if the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures are what they appear to be, God was attempting to create a people for himself that hmm. presumably are the, like, the only people who know the truth about this God that exists outside of creation who's invisible hmm. versus all the other gods and goddesses that everybody lit, um, believed in. And so when you read the laws, part of it is it's God giving Israel, uh, ancient Israel, um, an ethic that would allow them to stand out from their neighbors and order themselves in a way that would promote love for God um, mm. and love for neighbor. And then that's the broadest piece is would mm. be that. And then both Exodus and Deuteronomy, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5 have the 10 commandments, mm. which are then 10 or 12. I mean, there's honestly, <laughs> I mean, there's actually three different, there's three different ways to get 10. And depending on what your denomination is, or like the Jew, the, the mm. synagogue has a different ordering than Christians do. And there's two different ways the Christians organize, but there's whatever you want to say. There's so there's, much. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but, but, th- but those are like, they're still very broad, but those mm. are, are 10 or, you know, 10 or 12 specific or more specific applications of the laws. And then when you get in the weeds, which is, I think, where you want to go with some of these things, all of the other laws, whether it's what to do if an ox scores somebody, uh, what to do with slaves, what yeah. to do, those are specific 
specific case studies, if you will, um, that could change given circumstances, because that's where that's where the contradictions, I think, or the shifts come in, which we can talk about if you want to. But there's specific, there are ways that the Ten Commandments are being contextualized in a particular moment in the history of faith. But the broadest principles that are always true are the love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's and the then, broad principle. Yes. And so it goes from general to specific. And again, that doesn't solve every problem, which I mean, that's kind of probably yeah. what your book was ultimately getting at. But that's, to me, that's a way to think about the text and like, yeah. And so let, let me just stop. There. So yeah, so. no, you're good. Thank you. Appreciate that. That was, it was awesome. Um, so as far as the slavery part, we can go to that. Yeah. Um, I don't see getting neighbors from, or your, your slaves from your neighbors as loving your neighbors. Sure. I could be wrong. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is just my way of thinking, not God's way of thinking. God could think this is the most loving act in the world. Me, I think it's yeah. disgusting. I think it's horrible. No, I agree. Well, um, I agree. No, and, and let's just say nobody in yeah. the modern world. Well, there are yeah. there's more yeah. slaves today than there ever were in history. I think mm. you probably know that, right? There's mm. a lot of folks that are in sexual slavery and there's slaves that you can. I mean, honestly, you know, if people go into the weeds, you can buy a slave today mm. if you want one. So there's more slaves numerically, not by percentage, right? And in the New Testament, I don't know if the listeners know this, one out of every three people in the Roman Empire was a slave. Hmm. And in the ancient world, slavery was very common. So yeah, so the, the, the reality is, I can be wrong on this, by the way, too. But the way that we can I all be wrong, about I love it. it. Thank you, yeah. Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's fair, right? Because I don't. Because um, like I don't, like uh, it's because if you just read the text, you're like, oh my gosh, it doesn't make any sense. They just hmm. got delivered from Egypt, from and this slavery. is actually true. And your readers, if they open up Exodus, right? Exodus mm -hmm. one to fifteen is the Exodus, the famous story that gets. God brings God's people out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness. Exodus 19, they're at Sinai. Exodus 20, they get the Ten Commandments. Exodus 21, first 11 verses is slave law, hmm. right off the bat. But here's, but here's the point. How does that teach you to love your neighbor? Well, yeah. again, I'm going to say this with a straight face, um, and, but, and I want to be careful, and I want to be sensitive, because like nobody's going to defend slavery, okay? We're not so here's the deal, slavery. though. Yeah. Um, um, What's interesting, and I think is that God is actually subverting the cultural institution of slavery by having a slave law. And let me say what I mean by that. Um, okay, Exodus, yeah. um, okay, um, the first two commandments that follow the Ten Commandments, and these are back to cases. So the very end of chapter 20, what you have the Ten Commandments, they're over there verses one to 18, if I recall. <laughs> and then right at the end of chapter 20, I think it's 2022 to the end of the chapter, you get a law about how to properly create an altar to worship God. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting, right? Of a first law. Okay. We're going to make, no but stairs. that's okay. <laughs> no, no, it's right. You, you can't, you can't cut the rocks and stuff. Right? right. I mean, but, but that's, that's the love of God part. That's the the vertical part of the relationship. So the very first case study on loving God is how to properly create an altar, right? Mm. Well, the very first case study on how to love your neighbor is how is Israel going to treat slavery if it, if it happens, right? Mm. And you're thinking, like, well, they, well they, they, and they might say, well, let's not have slaves at all, except what what was a slave in the ancient world? And by the way, we're not defending this, and I and I would not want to get myself into this at all. But it, it slavery, sucks. Way, it sucks. Yeah, yeah, slavery, yeah. Sucks. slavery. Yeah, slavery in the Old Testament, though, still sucks. in the ancient world. How did you become a slave? Like the slavery that's practiced in the Americas 
was obviously was literally kidnapping. And by the way, you're not going to find any justification for that in the Bible at all. Though well, some people you've got try, Joshua right? kidnapping women in the uh, from the battles to marry and take your own. So, I mean, I do see it there. God sanctions that. God says, yeah, make sure you save the women for yourself. Yeah, that's that weird uh, passage in Deuteronomy you're talking about where you have to shave the person's head. That, and take that too. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Poor, you know, the poor you know, woman well, has to marry the, the guy who killed her whole family. Thanks, God. Exactly. Well, we could, <laughs> well, we could talk about that one. If, again, I'm not the – well, actually, what's funny is – where like, the slaves come from, too. Yeah. You know, they're getting their yeah. slaves from war. I mean, so yeah. these people are captured. And their neighbors are captured and, and taken as slaves. Ahead, yeah, that's how you you would become a slave in the ancient world. The first one, the most common one, was um, you, there was no bankruptcy in the ancient yeah. world, and so if you were bankrupt, you would you could have to sell yourself for a kid, right? Um, and where nobody's justifying that, but that would be one. Um, also, be on the wrong end of a war is obviously yeah. uh, another way. Um, Kidnapping. I'm sure that happened. <laughs> to say that didn't happen. Well, I'm not going to say it doesn't I, happen, I, I but, I think, but I think if you read the laws happen. really carefully, <laughs> they're not. And like even, again, nobody wants to, um, like you killed everybody, oh, look at the woman. But here's the deal. Mm. If you look at how most cultures, like even look at what happens in Ukraine right now. What happens to women? Mm. They get raped, mm. right? And so, again, this doesn't make it pretty. And I have daughters. Matter of fact, I have five daughters. So I don't like any of this stuff, okay? Yeah. But but let's, but, but okay, even the, the extreme ex the example you said about, well, they're allowed to take their, as a wife. Again, I'm not God, and do I wish that wasn't the wasn't in the Bible? Sure, it'd make my life a lot easier. <laughs> but we wouldn't have anything to talk about either. We'll have yeah. to say that too. Yes. That. So what's, but what's really what's going on there? Like, let's let's just take that for an example, or we could go back to the the slavery thing. Both. I mean, well, I only want to focus on that slavery yeah, thing too, and loving yeah, your yeah. neighbor. I I kind of want to bring yeah. up another point to that too before you finish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is is God's importance that He puts on monotheism? In the Old Testament, it's so important. He will slaughter you and your family if you worship a different God. But slavery, this 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 horrible thing, he can't find an alternative. The best idea he comes up with is, um, you know, you can beat your slave for three days. If it doesn't die, it's OK. Uh, you, you can trick your slave into staying with you. All these different things. I mean, why not put the importance on people? It's all about him. I mean, it's just it's kind of egotistical and monstrous and. I don't see it as a good thing. Sorry, throwing that in there no. as well. Well, no, I think it's fair. True. I mean, that's I. That being, I'm, you know, that's good. Um, yeah, and let's just affirm if that's exactly what's really going on at the deepest level. Um, I wouldn't want to believe in that God either. Okay, hmm. I'll, I'll just go on record and say that right now. Now, hmm. what I think is really happening, um, and it, is that there's a subversion because basically slavery is a given and it's been a given for essentially all of human history, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and it has yeah. nothing to do with religion per se. Maybe it does, uh, uh, but well, it doesn't have to, right? It didn't but help. It's, it's, religion didn't help. The Bible didn't no, help <laughs> slavery, right? Didn't help but, it. Well, <laughs> didn't no, the Bible, but, but you can name any religion, all the religions have various forms. So let's just say it's a, a human given. It seems as though people left to their own devices or if you want to under sometimes under divine sanction seem to enjoy enslaving other people some people right that sucks there's now, a group of them here's what yes. i would say yeah there's a small group that do especially nowadays i mean nowadays it's a lot less people that would want to have a slave um i, I see people waking up a little more as in uh understanding the repercussions and 
how they would not want that to themselves. In some parts, at least in the Western world, I think some we parts. can mostly say that. But mostly. Uh, Again, yeah. we can't always, we can't yeah, lump yeah. everybody, unfortunately, into that. But yeah, mostly, mostly, yeah. And, and, and you know, you can argue at some level, well, let's just go back to the text, though, because that's like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't need to make yeah, apologetic yeah, things. Yeah. Like, um, um, <clears throat> okay, so like if this is a place where you actually see movement in the Bible, so like Exodus chapter 21 has two different laws if you're a male you you have to be released on the seventh year unless you know you decide your owner treats you really well and then you get a mark on your ear and you stay a slave for your life for your entire right, you life gotta, so or that, if you're married and you got your wife and kid the wife and kid have to stay but you're free to go right, yeah right. it's a trick man right. it's a trick you got to come back oh that's what she meant by the trick i wonder what yeah, you were getting at on that right so i get there. that yeah yeah, yeah. Well, but then the female slaves have different laws, and this and this is a place where you, I think you can see where the subversion is going on versus typical slavery. Because we basically, in, you know, slavery. What happens to women in slavery? They get raped, oftentimes by the owners. They get taken as like a sex slave or a, um, a concubine or something. Hmm. Um, in, in, in Exodus twenty-one, if a man buys a woman, he has to give her the rights of a wife. And if he's not pleased with her, he has to flat out let her send her back to her family. She gets released. And he, and again, do I want that? She's no my, longer a virgin, though. She's not worth much anymore to the dad. Monetary. Women are monetary possessions. God yeah, couldn't I fix that? Well, well, if we want to have a long conversation, <laughs> we, it, the Bible has a trajectory that's very pro-woman woman over against the rest of uh, of um of, of patriarchy essentially it starts off and it with also, them as property though does it not yeah well if if, if you want to read yeah it it yeah. does and you could say that yeah. as a product of human sin at the beginning because there seems to be um, it's god not stepping Genesis, in and stopping really it though, brian if brian if, right. if god can tell us to stop worshiping invisible make-believe gods why can't he tell us to stop raping women why can't he tell us to to, to stop buying women i mean like I don't get it. Like his, he even gave yeah. laws for raping women. Now, now the woman is is subject to the man. She is stuck, married to her rapist. These are God's perfect laws. These are His ideas. I don't think they're very good ideas. I think He can be a little more progressive in His ideas. Well, and if you re- keep reading through the Scripture, there's a progressive revelation. And again, I think, um, again, I'm not going to disagree with you on on what you're yeah. saying. However. The thing that I think that that you want to be that I would just push back on you a little bit is, you know, you asked me what the Bible was at the beginning, and it's a collection of books written over three thousand years, and you have to remember that it's trying to reveal a certain kind of God. And I don't have you ever seen that crazy movie? Oh, it's it's called The Gods Must Be Crazy. Oh, I love co- that movie. Yeah, yeah oh, right. That's such a fun one. Yeah, it is fun, and 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 I use it in class because it doesn't actually solve some of the problems that you're raising, but it it does say like the way that God, if God is invisible, how does God slowly reveal Himself? If He literally showed up, would anybody have gotten it? Instead, it's more like that, you know, just like that. God's must be crazy. This pop bottle falls, you know, and they, you know, it's hilarious, right? But that's not how it works. And in a sense, that's kind of what you're suggesting God could have done. And could God have done it? Sure, but why didn't God? Well, I mean. That's the question that we're trying to talk about, but it's, I would call it progressive revelation in most of the problems that you raise, not all of them, um, find some resolution, substantive resolution, I think in, in the cross of Jesus. And that's, that's where I usually root my faith ultimately is like, I always say, always goes back there. Well, and, and, and I'll be, and I might do it a little differently than a lot of mm-hmm. folks. Like the, I would be at least 
a Christ follower simply because Jesus on the cross looked at the people crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And hmm. I would like to be the kind of person that could do that. Could do that. Far, yeah. yeah. Literally be extend forgiveness. Yeah, nice enough even, guy to even well, forgive the people nailing yeah. you to a piece of wood. Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. it's not even at that point, that's just, it's not even nice. I mean, what do, what do you even say about that? That's profound. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of person that's like, I like to become that kind of person who heals the ear of the people coming out to arrest, arrest them, yeah. tells his own people, put your swords down. I mean, that's kind of where I always start is this, um, that's to me, that's who God is. It's the mm-hmm. God who dies on a cross. And again, that doesn't God make the all cross. these other texts. Um, automatically obvious how we should read them. But if that's where this story ultimately reaches its climax, which at least for the Christian story, it does, though it gets framed sometimes a little differently. Um, I can work backwards and figure that out. Gotcha. Um, and, and that's basically the work that, you know, that I do, but, you know, just for fun, I mean, just like even these texts you're raising, I I do a thing in class um, and I say, bring the most horrible passage you can find anywhere in the old Testament and let's, and let's work on it. Like what, what's the most embarrassing text that you can find and let's work through it. So, you know, students, and well, it's usually in Deuteronomy because I teach a Deuteronomy class, Exodus class. And so, you know, so we get those texts, like the woman has to shave her head. And like you said, it's like, good Lord, her husband's dead. And now some dude, you know, and, and when you look at a text like that, for example, again, I mean, nobody wants to be in that situation, but no. in the rest of the earth, that woman's just getting raped and she's probably left for dead after she's been raped by a hundred soldiers. Instead, she yeah. has to be a lot of time to mourn. I mean, the shave head thing, the clothes, that's not meant, I mean, that sounds like you're humiliating her. That's letting her right. that's just a, cleanse yeah. herself and all that kind of, so it's again, not a situation I don't whatever want my daughters to be in, hmm. Hmm. but again, God subverting typical human activities to point that we're going to be different in this uh in this context again that doesn't take the pain away or like you even said there's texts like even if your wife who you love um mm. wants to worship another god you have to be the first one to stone her i'm like you know good lord yeah. um, the one that um, you love not the other one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i right. noticed they put that in there they must have done that on purpose no 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 we know you will yeah, do that one it's the one you love that's doing it <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so before we get back to the cross though i do want i do want to touch on that because that is a that's obviously a big part of the christianity um you did mention deuteronomy and and there is that verse deuteronomy twenty eight thirty. um you will be pledged to be married to a woman but another will take her and rape her god is saying this um, that is some yeah, pretty yeah. harsh, harsh shenanigans from God. He's going to cause your wife to be raped. Um, holy cow. Yeah. How, how does that work? Well, those are those passages where the idea is that that doesn't happen, that Israel is supposed to practice faithfulness, right? So the 27 yeah. and 28 are the curses and the blessings that mm-hmm. you see in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. with the covenant. And, um, and the idea, basically, and again, the thing, the way that you have to remember this too, and there's two different things. Um, hmm. The issue of, you know, why would God say something like that? That's going to be tricky. And I don't know if I can give yeah. you a completely satisfactory answer on, on that one. But the issue ends up being is we always have to remember that Israel exists, at least 
by the texts themselves, purely by the grace of God. You know, sometimes we think mm -hmm. like, in other words, like, like they were not a superpower and they never were. They're a little tiny country that for most of its history, fairly insignificant. And they were always kind of stuck in between the superpowers, which for most of the Old Testament of being Egypt and then the countries that would be in what modern day Iraq, Iraq would be. The southern kingdom would be like Babylon and the northern Iraq would have been Assyria. And then where Iran is, it'd be the Persians. So you always had these superpowers and then the Hittites would be up where Turkey was. And so little Israel is just a regional power stuck in the middle in these trade routes. <laughs> And if you read that, if you read the Old Testament, like though the U.S. is uh, uh, Israel's like the United States with the superpower thing, a lot of this stuff ends up being kind of fanciful. But so, in other words, Israel is always <laughs> under extreme threat from dangerous neighbors. Hmm. So the only reason that Israel exists is because God's called them, and then God calls them to be a holy people. Now. You know, it'd be nice. Uh, and, and then you have the blessings and the curses. So the idea is if Israel practices faithfulness, faithful obedience, uh -huh. um, they love God. God. Yeah. Yeah. They love God and they love the neighbor as themselves. It's both because the, mm. the Israel's sins were idolatry or syncretism, which would be mixing beliefs together. And then also injustice. So like you read the prophets, that's why Israel gets itself into trouble. So in a sense, God allows to happen to Israel extreme acts of injustice. Now, is Just that for disobedience? Would you do well, that to your daughters? Well, you know, the answer is of course not, and that's why right. again I mean, in the New Testament, you but get why this not? Father, yeah, and, and you know, and again, I'm not here to defend God, right? God yeah. can defend Himself or not defend Himself, well, you can't, right? I mean, so, <laughs> I've yet to but, have God defend Himself. That would be an interesting day. But but, <laughs> but but one of the things that you do see in the in the scriptures, if people are struggling with these texts, and by the way, all the things that we're talking about, these have been stuff that have been talked talk through, addressed for thousands yeah. of years, yeah. right? And, and it's Jews and Christians talk about these things. But the thing would be, it's not like there's literally, even at these extreme passages, it's not like you mess up, God literally is letting your wife be raped. It's there's a long disobedience. God gives multiple, you know, if you want to say chances before God yeah. essentially just lets things off. And I guess if you're going to look really? for any kind of, Ill I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm going to go to the first curse. I mean, they, they screwed up once and then all mankind is cursed. So God doesn't really give people too many chances from what I see. Uh, there was those people in the new Testament. They lied once and God killed them. Um, yeah, and and you can point. And there's a couple other places where there are there does seem to be instantaneous. Yeah, there's a bunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but in general, like if you take Israel as a whole, though, there's a long, there's a lot of because mostly if you read the Old Testament, Israel's almost continuously disobedient. There's only a couple of so kings that are. What, what's the level of disobedience to have one's wife raped? <laughs> I mean, well, okay. Now let's talk about five that times. For a <laughs> I mean, well, no. Well, here's the reality, man. though. Look, it, like if if um in the ancient world, if you're on the wrong end of any kind of war, your wife is getting raped, you're being tortured. If you live at all, you're going to be a slave, right? And so all that's really talking about is this is what happens when God does not protect you. Yes. Yes. Because you don't love him enough. So God's not going to protect you and your wife is going to be raped because of it. That's love God. Hurry up, man. Get over there. Save your wife. Go love God. Like that's what that's yeah. a monster though, Brian. That's that's very monstrous and and, and well, you uh, know, you you're saying with a smile ooh, on your word face. I'm looking for? 
Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, you're God, like, you know, like, you well, know, it's, it's one of my favorite character to me, Brian. I mean, so well, I know. Well, that's, well, that's what Richard, real. Richard, <laughs> you know, that, Richard Dawkins has that really fun quote that I, I, that I, that I love where he talks about what God's the most unlikable <laughs> fiction, fictional character ever. And that he's, yeah. a, you know, the moral monster and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously if, if you lay out a whole bunch of texts, yeah. you can argue that now if you lay it out again, as a whole, I'm going to step step back and look at it as a Monet. I'm going to look at these little pieces of God's going to cause your wife to be raped. God caused the flood. God killed the kid of David and Bathsheba. I mean, the, the, the Passover happened, all these little dots, the cross, the needing for blood, Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All these things, you look at it a big picture. What's going to happen at the end? God's going to come back and wipe out everybody who doesn't love him and take all the ones that do love him back to his place. And then whatever you believe, I don't know what happens to the other people. It could be hell, it could be just disappearance or whatever. But either way, they don't get to live in any kind of paradise. God doesn't like them anymore because they don't like him. So that's what I see when I see the big picture. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's how I see the cross. The gods must be crazy. He needs bloodshed for forgiveness, Brian. I am a normal, meek, me, feeble little human being, and I can forgive people without something dying. God is all-powerful, but he refuses to forgive people without killing something, especially himself. He created himself, cloned himself, killed it, and then used that magical blood to forgive everybody. Like yeah, I think, that's God's I think, must be crazy at that point. That doesn't well, make I, any sense to me. <laughs> I, I think again, well, again, I don't believe in that God either, by the way. And I don't think um, if you get deep into theology, I mean, only the, you know, you could probably find a youth pastor somewhere who has no training that would talk like that in a Christian church, but that's not, <laughs> but that there's, there's no, um, I so mean, how, the does, theolo- how does the cross work for you then? If that's not how it works for you, how does the cross work for you? Well, for one thing, God didn't kill Jesus. It says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so in a sense, what's the what does the cross actually represent, right? And, and again, if you're going to take you, the writer of Hebrews is 9-9, but there's a whole bunch of other ways to talk about the cross that come out of the other books, right? So what is the cross? The cross was, you know, you're talking about all this injustice. And the, the beautiful thing is like, if God was going to die and that was going to be a means of bringing salvation, God could have died a whole bunch of different ways. He doesn't have to. That's my point, Brian, is he doesn't have to. He does not have to use blood to forgive people. He does it in the Bible. He does it in several places. He actually forgives people without killing something. He can do it, but he refuses to for some reason. He has to sacrifice himself to himself so that he's able to forgive people. That sounds kind of crazy to me. I wouldn't do that as a rational human being. You can write me a letter. You can sing me a song. You can just say, hey, I'm sorry and really mean it. And I'm okay. Let's let's forgive you. You know, but God wants the death of himself. He wants that bloodshed. Again, I understand why you would say it that way, but that's not really how a Christian would articulate a theology of atonement per se. So, well, they would try to make it sound prettier, make it sound better, make it sound. Well, it doesn't. Well, look, (laughs) that's the whole thing. But you're actually missing it, though. Like, I would suggest reading a book by Jurgen Moltmann called "The Crucified God." I mean, that's beautiful. Yeah, you know, and Moltmann, um, you know, and and is one of these guys that had. um, He was in World War II, and he was POW. And uh, um, he became a Christian in the middle of all that. Um, and so, you know, that's the kind of person when I think about theology, like I want to listen to a person like that. But he has a beautiful book on on the crucifixion, for example. You know, so it's actually God. a subversion of human power. Again, 
Did God require blood? Well, again, that's back to a cultural thing. People have been sacrificing animals to gods because time. they believe it's right. the thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you were a god, Michael, and you know, you know, since it, you you know, let's just imagine you're God, right? Uh, and yep. and and you want to be the pop bottle that drops in that gives a new idea. You you have cultures that assume the uh -huh. gods have to be fed, uh -huh. which is what sacrifice ultimately is. Uh -huh. um, and you want to eliminate sacrifice. Uh -huh. That's what that's part of what the cross is. No, Brian, no, I don't need a I don't need a cross to happen like thousands of years ago where nobody has a video camera or any proof of this and they've got five different versions. I don't need that. What I would do is Gaza, I would show up once a year, correct everybody. This is how it's supposed to be. This is actually what I said. No, let's do this. I can help you with that. Here's a new idea. Here's some love farts on your way. You know, be happy. Just don't hurt anybody. Well, you know I what mean, I'm about to say, though, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came, he, he he cursed a fig tree because it didn't have fruit instead of making it grow and feeding the whole place. Then he came back. No, no. Jesus, Jesus said some pretty <laughs> things like loving your neighbor. He also came to bring a sword, separate people, division, all that stuff. And if Jesus is God... He's the same person that drowned every puppy, kitten, and baby on the planet during the flood. He's also the same guy that came down and killed all the kids sleeping in their beds in Egypt. That's the same guy. So he's telling me to love my neighbor, but it's okay for him to go and kill people. Slaughter children. Innocent beings. And the Lot story. That entire yeah. story of Lot. That The whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you think it was just the men that were evil? Do you think it was just the men that died? What about the kids sleeping in their beds in that city that got destroyed by God's wrath because he couldn't le separate evil from human beings? Ugh, frustrating. But yes, no, Jesus is that guy. You're telling me he said a few good things about loving your neighbor? That does not, that does not cancel out all the crap he did as far as killing people, especially children, puppies, kittens. Who did Jesus actually kill when he was on his earthly ministry? I, I, earthly ministry? When, when, <laughs> so when God came to earth as Jesus, he stopped killing people. But when he goes back at the end of the whole thing, he's going to come back with his angel army and then kill people. And where does so, it say? I mean, aren't you? But we're back to Revelations where it's symbolic no, stuff. No, that's not just Revelations. Hold on. Let me get my shenanigans here real quick here. There's uh, I think it's uh, come on, man. Come on. Jesus. Says he could have called ten thousand angels, but no. he didn't. There's that too. Yes. Um, oh my good grief! So, anyways, it's in here somewhere in my wonderful collection of awesomeness. So I'm just going to go over here to the. Do you actually section. have a list of texts that are just? Uh, I that, do. Uh, I have them all categorized. It's great. Like if you want to talk about sin, I've got a few Bible verses on it. It's it's a Evernote. It's an amazing thing. It really That's is super fun. helpful because I can't remember numbers for crap. <laughs> uh there it is no 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 host of god perform there it is matthew 13 41 through 42 this is some great radio i tell you the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil they will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth second thessalonians 7 uh 1 7 through 9 this will happen well, when our lord jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels he will punish those who do not know god and do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ they'll be punished with everlasting destruction so so let's just we 
we could take either one of those passages. Yeah. You just kind of ran them together. One's from yeah. Paul and one Correct. was written by Matthew, which were two. Well, it was written people. by the, whoever wrote Matthew. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. The Matthean community or whoever you want to say, but I, you know, whoever the gospel of Matthew's author was. Um, <clears throat> so if you take Matthew, for example, right, that's chapter 13. You have the parables of the kingdom and what the one you read from, that's the, uh, what the parable of, is it the net or the, the it's the net, the, it's the net or the weeds. Which one are you reading? Weeds, from? I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, who's that being written to? Like, who was Matthew writing to? It wasn't writing to you or me originally, right? It doesn't matter who he's writing to, but is this true? Is this story true? Is Jesus going to come out of heaven with his angel army? Is that going to happen? I would say not the way that you're thinking it's going to happen. So these two verses are incorrect on how Jesus is going to come back. You're conflating genre and you're literalizing it like an interpreter doesn't you're 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 interpreting it literalistically, not literally. And again, what's going on in both those texts? Sex and Thessalonians, you're reading an apocalyptic <laughs> text, which yeah. is very simple, simple. And, I, and I'm not trying to be weasel my well, way out of this, by the way, but I think it's important <laughs> to at least we can do the same thing for the cross then, too, you know. Well, except the cross is represented as something that actually that wasn't written to you, though. That that's I didn't that that's fine. Um, so that how do we even know that it's, it's even real? That it probably well, didn't even happen. Because yeah, it well, wasn't even. Well, you know, you have to at least admit nobody actually denies that Jesus probably was crucified. Because even the Roman sources talk. Of, you actually don't actually believe he was crucified. I, I don't. I don't even like honestly. He probably wasn't even a real person. I'm not gonna you know climb the mountain on it or stay die on the mountain. That's the one. Die on that mountain. But he probably wasn't even a real person. They probably just made him up. But what do you? I'm just curious about that again. I it's because most skeptical folks don't go that far. So, like, because you have like Roman, I'm not saying sources. for sure. I'm not saying for sure. No, 100%. A lot of things, there's a lot of ifs and ands in there, and I'm on the fence. But guess what? It could go that way. That's where I'm at. That could be either way, it could be either or. So, he probably didn't even do all this stuff as far as I'm concerned. I don't have a complete, yes, he did it. Oh, yeah, that he definitely said that. Or, you know, how do you even know he said these things? How do we even know these are the words from Jesus? Well, Jesus probably, I mean, Jesus didn't speak Greek potentially. So these are all translated words, no matter what. Right. And so, and, and if you go into historical criticism, you can see how the gospels came together and that you basically have four different viewpoints. And then, you know, then there's other gospels that are yeah. usually a little bit later that didn't make it into the canon. So you have yes. different portraits. And so there, there is a question like, what did the real Jesus say? But even skeptical scholars, including atheists that go and do the get into the weeds on what Jesus most likely said or didn't say, there is a core of sayings that most and it, and I'm not even talking about we're not talking about evangelicals. We're talking about just biblical scholars who study the text can agree that Jesus said a block of things. And even um, like I was surprised. I didn't know that you didn't that you were actually skeptical about the, the fact that Jesus maybe didn't even live. Because yeah. to me, that's. I haven't, honestly, I haven't, I haven't, you're the first person, honestly, I've ever spoken to that held that position that I literally huh. spoke to because uh, most people would just deny that he was divine or things yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not just, there is historical evidence. But I mean, is that historical evidence? So we're accepting that as historical evidence. We don't know if it's been tweaked. We don't know. Um, there are some that have been um, manipulated through time. 
So well, what, what do you do, do with know? the Roman sources though? Like that, that, that where they have like, what's it? I, I didn't know we were going to talk about this. What's the guy's yeah, name? I don't know. Don't go the Roman deep, historians deep, 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 deep. that <laughs> I wasn't ready. No, there's, for a this. Couple, there's a couple of <laughs> Roman historians that mentioned, <laughs> They call him Crispus or Christus or something like that. I can't mm. again. I, I'm not. I wasn't yeah, aware. It's been I a wasn't. But yeah. um, but there are Roman sources that acknowledge that there was a person that lit that that would have lived, and you know that doesn't that doesn't prove everything that the gospels say happened. But I, no. I, as far as well, uh, um, I mean, um, we got sources now that that talk to Elvis. Um, we got so I you know I had lunch the other day. I was served by a guy who thinks he's an alien. He told me I'm an alien. I'm for real. Okay. You're an alien. Yeah. So, I mean, how reliable can we take these sources? Are we talking about Roman sources along with any sources, any of those Bible sources, any of these ancient sources come from people that could have thought they were aliens. We don't even know how these people's mental, you know, capacities were. At well, that I point. think, I think at that point, I mean, you can be an extreme skeptic about everything and you're allowed. That's a legitimate position just to be literally right. skeptical of everything. Like you could be skeptical about the, you know, an, an hour from now that we even talked, right. And you'll have a, you'll, you'll have a video, might. but maybe it was doctor. I mean, seriously. Right. So, so, you know, the thing that you have to do with any kind of ancient historiography, because that's what we're talking about. I mean, we can have a, yeah. a question. We're not even yeah. talking theology. Now we're saying, did Jesus live? <laughs> right. And what, what does a historian do? They're going to pull the evidence together. And mm -hmm. then it comes down to, and like postmodern historiography essentially just comes down to, well, you mentioned it. It's, it comes down to whose testimony about the past does one trust? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and if literally you say, well, I don't trust anybody, then then you can't actually prove pr much of anything. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. right. But I mean, I'm not going to live my life for those ancient peoples that I can't prove. I'm not going to believe that I have a personal relationship with any of those people or that those people are still alive or that the millions and countless of people who have been called gods are still alive out there being gods. You know, there's, I'm just not going to follow that. I need I need some hard evidence that that okay. these things are reality. Yeah, the thing the thing that I would say honestly, because um, I mean it's this is fun to to talk through the stuff, and honestly, you know, it helps me because I love to hear really hard questions. Because honestly, <laughs> otherwise it's just boring. It's right? so true. <laughs> uh, no, it's really true, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, like if I was going to argue one way or the other that God exists, because I, <laughs> you know, I I've struggled extremely in my faith. Cause I had yeah. some really difficult things. I went through a long dark night of the soul where mm -hmm. I literally confessed to some of my colleagues at a seminary that I was an atheist mm. um, at times. Now yeah. I'm not there anymore. And I've moved away from that. And like jokingly, and you like jokes. So, you know, I like to say um, I tried really hard to be an atheist, but God didn't let me right now. <laughs> you, you probably could say exact same thing. I tried really hard uh, to believe, but, but God uh, wouldn't let that, me. Yeah. Yeah. God, God never <laughs> showed up. He wouldn't let me believe. It's like, come yeah, on, yeah. man, I'm asking you to be there. <laughs> and what's interesting, like I have lots of respect for atheism. Like, you know, I love, I mean, honestly, one of my favorite, I like Sam Harris a lot, which I don't know mm. if that's surprised or not, but I, I, I appreciate his perspective. Um, you know, um, uh, uh, Bart Ehrman, who's not really an atheist, he's more of an agnostic, um, but mm. he's a very skeptical person. I've read all of his books. Oh, I've actually amazing. met, I've, I've met Bart Ehrman. He's a really nice what? man. Nice. Well, no, I met him in my PhD program because he he knew the one of my, one of our colleagues. So he came through. Yeah, he's a he's a really nice That's man. Cool. 
yeah, yeah super nice guy right and he's intellectually honest and stuff mm. um you know so i've I like, believe it or not, I like, I love Christopher Hitchens. I find him hilarious, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Richard Dawkins, um, you know, I, I get it. Like I told you, my favorite quote from Richard Dawkins. And I, you know, so I, I read the things and, you know, and then I go back and I've, like, I've learned a lot. Like Schopenhauer, who was a, you know, he's, a, he was an atheist. Mm. Um, Nietzsche, um, mm. you know, uh, even Immanuel Kant, even though he was a Christian, he he basically tried, tried to create a system that would allow you to be ethical apart from divine revelation. So this is a long kind of Very historical yes, conversation like that, yeah. that we've been having, right? Um, hmm. and, and, I, and I can be sympathetic with that because what it comes down to is it, it comes down to who does one want to be in what operating system allows you to get at that stuff. And like, for me, you know, mm. I've cut my teeth, been, you know, my parents started taking me to church when I was like five years old. Um, uh, I grew up and I had some, I had some legitimate religious experiences and I actually, they've continued at different times in really meaningful ways. Huh. Again, you could be, you could tear apart anybody's experience because it's just an experience, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, personal experience um, is pretty thing, hard to, to no, go no, against right, right, for right. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, the, the questions of being it's from my perspective, there's something there now, this is what's interesting. And I don't, I don't know if, if you ever experienced that when, like when, when I read a really hardcore atheist hmm. and they describe that there's nothing there and you, you know, you've kind of sort of hinted at that. What's interesting. And this is why I like Sam Harris, by the way, too, because I'm a meditator. And I had my faith essentially saved and I believe in God. And I can say that I'm a theist by experiencing the great void that one runs into in the deepest levels of meditation. Hmm. Um, and again, that's an argument from experience. But what's interesting is I started reading contemplatives, mystics, Mystic, yeah. and, and what's fascinating is mystics <laughs> describe God as no thing and basically say anything that you could say about God isn't really God, which is almost exactly what an atheist says. <laughs> and so almost. what's really, it's no, it's super interesting. And so like, sometimes I like to say I'm an atheist and I put a slash between the A and the T. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got this from a you know person you might think would be fun for you to read a book or even if you get him on your podcast is a guy named mm. Peter Rollins. Mm. Uh yeah, he's really interesting. You, you can look him up. He's got lots of videos, but he actually has this whole thing. He calls it um pyrotheology. He wants everything to burn down. Um, and he does a lot of stuff with psychoanalysis. And so I've kind of worked through my faith through what I would say contemplative spirituality. That mm -hmm. then allows me to go back and look at the text again. All the stuff that you, I mean, all there's no there's no hiding from these things. Now you can make yeah. sort of historical arguments. You know, you can. It, it doesn't take away the fact that at the core there's some extremely violent passages, and and mm -hmm. you know, in that in that and as you said, I mean, I think sometimes I would just suggest due respect that I think you're over reading a few of the texts, mm -hmm. but at the core out of that whole pile of texts you have, obviously some of those texts are exact saying exactly what you're claiming that they're saying. And I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, there's no question about that, but then the questions yeah. of being, can you step back 
and try to see some bigger story arc that's happening. Now we could say, why did God have to do it that way? Like this, you'll think this is funny. I mean, yeah. you like funny stories. I'm getting a colonoscopy back in 2021. <laughs> okay. Now this is hilarious, right? That and sounds so, pretty um, shitty, man. I don't know. No, no, it really, it really was. I mean, it was explosive. It was dangerous. You know, I even told the guy, be careful. There's been extreme oh, emissions man. coming back there. But anyway, oh, but this, but the, I swear to God, this is, this happened to me. At least I think this happened to me. Like I had never had anesthesia. Yeah. So, you know, I'm out yeah. there. They, they really knock your rear end out. And so when I wake up, and I don't know if I had problems waking up or not, the anesthesiologist is just start is talking to me. And he's going, I'm an atheist. It's like, why, where was God at before Abraham was there? And I'm thinking like, is this really <laughs> happening to me right now? And then what was funny is I know I started talking, but I, I would have wished I could have recorded this because I'm mm. literally getting asked these really hard questions by the anesthesiologist <laughs> while I'm coming out of the anesthesia after my colonoscopy, right? That's great. You know, you know, and I remember saying, and the nurse got mad at me. I'm like, yes, I think on every other day I'm an atheist, but some days I'm a theist. And the lady goes, you can't say that. And the anesthesiologist goes, I want to hear what he's saying. And at least I think this is what was happening. So, you know, and I, and I tried to go back and talk. It's like, you know, the what if game, why couldn't God have done it a different way? And by the yeah. way, you might be interested in this. There's entire um, books written, and these come out of like the um, the the peace church tradition, which there's books on what's called a nonviolent atonement, where some huh. Christian theologians try to imagine what salvation looked like apart from violence. That's an important question, right? So there is really good work that, huh. again, is it going to answer everything? No, because that's where, because at some point, again, there's two different yeah. ways to there's two different ways to react to uncertainty and mystery, right? Because we all want mm. certainty. And like I'm just gonna tell you, if you're looking for the guy that's gonna be an apologist, it's like I can talk about how to understand these texts and their context, and I can put a, a big arc on them. But at the end of the day, you're gonna come back, well, God killed all the puppies in the ark. And you know what? Yeah. That's what the story <laughs> says. Now, and then I could say, well, let's look at what other ancient flood stories were doing and let's compare and contrast how the gods were portrayed. That's the only way to deal with the violent text is you have huh. to see how Israel's neighbors portrayed gods and then ask yourself, is there more light coming from this portrayal of God than was known in the context? Again, that doesn't solve or, the problem of violence. Or it's all just a made up story and they're borrowing stories from other nations and it's just, just an add on or a different version of it. And see, I'm comfortable with that, with yeah. the idea in the ancient world, for example, I would argue that to have a worldview, you had to have a flood story and you had to have a creation story. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, yeah, I you were nothing sense. unless you had one of those and your city didn't have a God. Who are you? <laughs> and, and so the stories, so the question you're supposed to ask, and, and you have been asking me this, is mm. you're supposed to read like the creation stories and the flood story and like say, wow, what kind of God is this? Mm. Except... If you're an ancient person, instead of hearing this is bad news, which yeah. again, I can totally get it as a 21st century person, you know, that's one of Sam Harris's critiques. Why do we read Iron Age books for modern, you know, mm. stuff? I, you know, um, but if you're in the ancient world, these texts actually sound like good news if they're read in the context. Is mm. um, is and that's that's my operating p uh, position essentially. If you want 100% lockdown certainty, I mean, yeah, you're going to blow holes through pieces <laughs> of it. But my position wouldn't be without real substance. And it has to come back then. I mean, here's the ultimate thing, though, right? Hmm. It's like, it doesn't really matter. None of this stuff actually matters hmm. unless your life is transformed into a way that you could become the kind of person 
that mm. other people would want to emulate, right? That's what I'm really mm. interested at. And I would just say, you know, like following Jesus for me. And like, I came back, I come back to the cross thing. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'd like to see that. Like you think of all the brutality, oh. we watch movies where there's vengeance and all this stuff. Here's a guy that unjustly mm-hmm. crucified and you can look the people in the face mm. on the last day on earth and doesn't curse, ask for forgiveness. And, you know, even if all the miracles aren't true. I've seen lots of movies where that happens. Yeah. The hero dies, even though Batman, for instance, he's not the hero they want, but he's the hero they need. You know, man. Yeah. Lots of stories. We but, love our stories. We're human beings, man. For good at one thing. It's stories. That's for sure. And, and that's the question. And that's what, you know, to me, it's like, okay, what story are you going to follow? That's compelling enough mm. that then allows, you know, people, if they're living the out ranks. the way of Jesus, that are going to take care great. of the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Friends stick together, help each other out. Let's solve this problem. Get rid of the orcs. You know, you need an elf well, on your you team. Know, why do you have to get, see, that's, but, but here's what I would say though. Like <laughs> you don't have to get rid of orcs in a uh, sense, you know, we can find plenty of passages in the old Testament that are trying to include the orcs. And that's where the thing comes ooh. in. Well, I mean, we got plenty of, most of the passages are God wiping out the, his favorite people, the people next to him, uh, the whole planet twice. we got fire and floods, um, blood and water in the end. I don't know. I don't know. But this has been fun, Brian. This has been a blast. You're, you're, you're a super fun guest, man. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah, let's uh, do it again. Yeah. yeah close yeah. it out though, but uh, plug your stuff. Where can we find you? Yeah. yeah. Again, thanks for the opportunity. This has been, yeah. been fun. You're, you know, appreciate to have a chance to talk to a very knowledgeable host and uh, yeah, if folks are interested in like Bible stuff. I mean, I would suggest going to YouTube and I have a, a channel. I think I sent it to you. It's called it's deep dive spirituality with Brian Russell. And what I have there, I have a lot of videos on the contemplative spirituality stuff, but I actually host the stuff I teach. So I have a, a whole section on introduction to the old Testament where I walk through the whole Bible. I have stuff on the new Testament. I have some videos on how to read the Bible and the way that I teach. So a lot of my teaching materials are there and those are, guess what? They're hundred percent free. You know, I always say you can get the same stuff I teach in class if you want to grade, you got to sign up and pay, right? But uh, <laughs> as long as I grade your papers, you can get the stuff. So you can check that out. Um, I also, brianrussellphd.com. That's my website. You can find social media stuff, um, books. Um, I mean, all my books. So I guess, is this, a, this, is this a video and an audio, by the way? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're we watching your on video, <laughs> I, I have some of my books behind me. And I do, um, I'm actually really proud of, um, this just came out on the 15th of, of August. It's called Astonished by the Word, Reading Scripture for Deep Transformation. And that's a book where I really try to talk about the inner work that Scripture wants to do in us to help us create, put us in a position where we can love God and love neighbor and not do the kind of stuff that, you know, <laughs> that you were <laughs> quoting me the whole time. No, and I'm dead serious about that because, you know, the, the challenges of being, um, and I would even suggest this for you, just a little push at the end here is like, when you find yourself really offended by a text and believe me, I get offended by texts especially ones that challenge the way I live. It's like, just notice, like, what is it about this text that really bothers me? Yeah. And maybe there's something deeper going in there other than, um, cause yeah, that's, that's what I would just say. And so this book kind of explores it. Like when I was a young man, I got into, I was in 10th grade. I mean, this is, and I just like, I was at the end of my rope, whatever that was at age 15. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was sitting in, you know, I'd grown up in church and stuff and I knew all the answers. And I remember just sitting there like, 
I don't got it. If you're real, I'm just going to read the Bible and reveal yourself to me. Hmm. And, you know, my story was, I, in the long story, but I mean, that kind of led me back into the faith and, yeah. you know, and then, you know, like I, the, astonished by the word, um, I just always pray, Lord, astonish me anew. Yeah. And so I, it's kind of a hermeneutic of what I'd say consent. And so that, so if folks are interested in that, um, th- that would be my latest book. I do have a book on centering prayer, which is Christian meditation. And then um, my two books on the Bible narrative of invitation and realigning with God. But, you know, folks can check that out. I'm really easy to reach. And uh, again, if anybody has any questions, I'm happy to do some dialogue. I don't have unlimited time, but I'm always happy to hear from folks that are people of goodwill that have legit questions. I love to dialogue, right? So it's there's no nothing to hide. And hmm. I ask hard questions all the time and, and mm. it makes it fun. And I just love if anybody wants to, would like some help and some ways to think about stuff from, you know, from a Christian perspective and or struggling and have a legit, you know, like an intellectual question about stuff. Um, I'd love to, you know, serve and bless folks. Cause I'm really grateful for the chance to be here. And that's, that's true for you, Michael. I think maybe we'll work and <laughs> get you on my podcast and, and let's just yeah. talk through some stuff and just kind of see where you, how you got to the position that, that you are, other than just making a list of all these terrible yeah. passages. Absolutely. So, which... <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I see. I'm, I'm kind of the opposite with you. I read the Bible and I became an atheist. So I would love to have that conversation. We'll <laughs> do know, that next I time know, for I sure. Know. We'll do it like, oh man, that's great. Uh, but thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for your time and your answers and everything else. Stay safe out there, man. We'll keep in touch. Thank you, Michael. That's all the show there is for you today. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find me at the Bible Says What YouTube and Facebook pages. You can also find clips of the show on TikTok under BSW the Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to help keep the recording light on, simply go to patreon.com forward slash BSW the Podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show. Your episodic tithes of a dollar or more will get you early access to each episode by at least three days, stickers, shirts, and shoutouts. That's patreon.com forward slash BSW the podcast. For the latest events, BSW swag, including signed copies of The Bible Says What the Book, head on over to the show's ever-evolving webpage at thebiblesayswhat.com. And no matter which platform you use to listen to your podcasts, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on the next episode. Until then, would you kindly pick up your Bibles and read them? Next time on The Bible Says What? It's two wow. options. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior uh-huh. and live for him or deny him wow. and spend eternity in hell. That's the what, bottom line. What a monster. I, I don't think I could I could get behind a monster that wants to throw me in hell if I don't love him back. Yeah. I, yeah, understand. I can't really get behind that. And I'm, I, I'm sorry for you because... I believe in how it's going to end. You know, you believe I'm going to have fire, it. brimstone, all that hell stuff, like gnashing of teeth, pit of fire. You, you believe all that? Yes, I do. Gotcha. And, and as me as an atheist, a non-believer who does not love your your God, this is where your God's going to send me if yeah. I don't love Him back. Yeah, because He's sovereign over everything. He that, created. I don't the, care he, if He's sovereign over. 
the universe, the next universe and the next universe after that, that doesn't give him the right to burn people for eternity because they don't love him. That doesn't make it make any sense or sound better. It's most likely not going to make sense. So God doesn't because make sense. This is where faith comes in. It's a blind faith. You have to believe in something that is really unseen. Oh, I don't and, have to. I mean, well, no, you don't. Have to, but <laughs> um, that's so what the Bible. If is I don't believe, do. yeah, no, it says his, his invisible qualities are clearly seen. I'd like to know how invisible qualities are clearly seen. So if we don't believe and we don't love God, he is going to send us to hell forever for eternity for not believing and not loving. Correct? We're not believing in him. Yes. So if I didn't believe in you and I didn't love you, it'd be okay for you to torture me forever. Well, I'm not God, so no, it wouldn't be okay. <laughs> so it's only okay if this invisible being does it, but nobody else. That's what I believe. Why is it not okay for anybody else? Because... Those things on this earth are considered sin to kill somebody, to harm somebody. Mm -hmm. I know you're trying to catch me in a trap here. So no trap. I'm just very curious in how this works yeah. for you because to me, it doesn't add up. This doesn't yeah. add up. This yeah. doesn't make any sense to me, but you've yeah. got it figured out. You believe this. How does it work for you? 